Amen. Good morning, church. Man, my heart is so um, just stirred by our time together in worship and uh, just a reminder of the greatness of our God. Uh, and he desires to work so much more than we long for him to work. And I, um, I'm praying that we might see a move of God uh, in our midst, that we might see the hand of God work in a way that um, would change the trajectory of a generation that would declare his greatness and his power. You know, I was uh, in the MVI pickup line on Friday. Uh, some of y'all already kind of wonder what happens. All my sermon illustrations have come from the MVI pickup line lately, right? And so, so I'm in line and on Fridays I get to, to pick up my kids and um, that's a kind of a first, first stop there. And there's a car a few uh, places in front of me and they pull up and there's a young lady there that gets the name of the child. And sometimes she has those memorized and uh, sometimes you'll hold up like a little sign that has your kid's name on it and she'll radio ahead, Grant Smith, number four. And that's where I go pick him up. Well, I noticed this one car just kind of stopped there and I was wondering what in the world, you know, was going on. And I thought maybe they were just friends and just kind of talking or whatever, which was cool. But I was just kind of wondering what the holdup was. And finally, I see the lady go over and open the car door to the car and I can hear the lady on the inside go, my window doesn't work. And I don't know about you, but the Lord has blessed me with several vehicles that's window doesn't work, right? I don't know. Uh, uh, it's just kind of the way that goes. Uh, I, I, you kind of want those that crank maybe because they, they seem to hold up a little better. And I can remember uh, when my little boy was small, I don't remember exactly uh, how old he was, but, but it, it made me think of this time in, in my life where uh, all of a sudden, my truck, I'd be driving it, and there would be crazy things that would happen. And some of you have vehicles that do crazy things. Some of you work in, in, in shops where people come in and tell you, man, my vehicle's doing these crazy things. Well, this one, the, the lights would flash. There would be uh, moments that the dash would flash, and then all of a sudden, something would happen, and the fuse would blow. And, it, and I don't know about you, but if you've had a vehicle that does that crazy stuff, it never happens at a good time. You're always at the drive-thru, you know, like right beside the building. And then you're like, and it won't work. Or, or maybe even worse, you've rolled down your window and all of a sudden, like it starts pouring the rain and you go to put it back up. Nothing. Well, you know, that was happening to me all the time. It's a Ford F-150. I loved that truck, right? And I was in the, the car wash line and I was pulled up there and my little boy was in the back seat and uh, I was talking to him and I knew like I had tons of change. Like I'd had all these quarters and it seemed like I'd put like a $10 bill in one of those machines. And next thing you know, it spits out like all quarters and you're like, oh, what just happened here? Right? You've got like a lifetime supply for the car wash. And so I'm in line there and I'm, I open up the little place to get my quarters out and I look in there and there's no quarters. And I'm like, where are my quarters? And I, I, I'm just kind of talking to myself even almost. And I asked Grant, I was like, Grant, have you seen my quarters? And he just smiled and nodded his head. I said, where are they? And he said, I put them in the radio bank. And in that moment, I'm kind of processing this thing a little bit. I said, the, the, the what? He said, 
the radio bank. And I said, what is the radio bank? And he pointed at the CD player and he had been stuffing those, those quarters in there. That's why I took it out. Like the only, you know, good thing about it is I found like 10 bucks in my radio when I changed it. But, but it, there was something that had been introduced, right? That had short-circuited the power that prepared my window to work and the power that worked in um, my truck. And so today we're going to be looking at two passages of scripture. We're, we're walking through kind of the, the full narrative of scripture. And as we've been doing that kind of this meta narrative, we've been uh, just hitting some, some really neat spots along the journey. We've been reading as a church family uh, together. And so through the week, you've been getting the rest of the story and we've been in Joshua uh, this week. And so we're in a great spot for you to jump in. You'll see paper copies of that in the vestibule. You'll see uh, at cowie.church forward slash disciple. We're in the church app, places that you can connect into that plan. But we encourage you to read along with that. And we're reading two passages of Scripture. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. And in these two passages of Scripture, we're going to see a victory and a defeat. We're going to see um, just this incredible move of God, and then we're going to see this incredibly uh, just disastrous moment in the life of the children of Israel. And as we look at those things, we're going to see that the difference difference in those two passages of scripture was a disconnect in the power of God, in the presence of God among the people of God. There, there was something in their midst that was short-circuiting the power of God. Now, we're in this series called Against All Odds. And when we think about the reality of the world that we are in, a lot of times we have heard this picture that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that everything's going to get easy. Uh, and the reality is that when you surrender your life to Christ, that you are in the midst of a battle, right? And the Christian life is, in a, uh, is, is a battle, right? The scripture says in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, uh, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so last week we talked about uh, this call that we have to family discipleship. And if you're gathering with your family and opening the word of God, I want you to know that you can expect to experience opposition to that work. Uh, you're, you're in a battle and the, the call that we have is a similar call to go and take the land. We've been called to go and to make disciples and to engage uh, in uh, the brokenness of this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And as a church and as a people, uh, we have to choose. Will we go in and take the land against all odds, against all the craziness of the culture, or will we retreat. Now, now, if you were to survey people, you would see that a majority of Americans, a majority of Christians would believe uh, that uh, this country is going downhill fast, right? We would say, you know what, we're uh, experiencing brokenness all around. We shared statistics last week that were really honestly just discouraging in the midst. I, I'll, I drive about 30 minutes from my house to church, and I was thinking this morning, I didn't count them, but there were, there were numbers of churches that I passed on my way to worship this morning. And there were numbers of churches that many of you passed on the way to worship this morning. And, and as we pass all those churches, and I wonder, we, we, we believe and we've sung today that there is nothing that our God can't do. We've sung today that he is the way maker and that he is a miracle working God and, and that the power of God is limitless, right? And we are in a season where we're going to, and, and, and by the way, we should celebrate the resurrection every single day, right? But we're looking toward resurrection Sunday 
today. And we're reminded that there's a tomb in Jerusalem that's empty. And there's a throne in heaven that's occupied by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that he is above all things. And he holds everything together in his power. And that he is able to do abundantly above what we even ask or think according to the power that works within us. And the glory of God being in the church. And for generations, we see those kind of things. We believe those kind of things. There's a church on every corner. And somehow, as I think about those things, it doesn't seem like the things that I've read about in the days of old. And it doesn't seem like the power of God is is at work in the midst of our world. And I'm wondering, what is it that causes that? Patrick Morley said it this way. He said, today, Christianity is prevalent but not powerful. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, we've not had an awakening in America of historic proportion in many, many years, right? We've been meeting, and as as our deacons have been meeting, there's been this uh, stirring topic of revival. And some of us hear that word, and we say, you know what, what does that mean? And we hear that word, and for some of us, that means that we need to have a series of meetings, that we need uh, to do something, right, uh, along those lines. We need to have a revival. I want to begin this conversation by saying there's nothing that we can do to manufacture a move of God. But in the midst, if God sees fit to move, we can be prepared for that. But what we are in desperate need of is a move of God. I look around at the young people that are in this room and at families and generations to come, and we are desperate for a move of God, where a generation sees the power and the greatness and the glory of God, that we need those kind of things. And I'm convinced with everything in me that we have a God who is able and a God who desires to move in our midst in that way. But when we look at these passages today, my heart can't help but say, what if there's something? What if there's something in our midst? What if there's there's something in our lives? What if there's something in churches and all these churches and in in this church and in places all around us? What if there's something that is in our midst that is causing a disconnect to the power of God? What if there's something that's short-circuiting the power of God in our midst? What if that's what we're facing. Look at Joshua chapter number six with me today. Now, the the, the Israelites have crossed over the Jordan in its flood stages, right? It's been this miraculous crossing of the Jordan. They're they're across the other side. They've set up a memorial. The waters of the Jordan have come uh, back in and they are no turning back, right? Here they are. And the call is to go and take the land, right? This is a significant moment, right? They've crossed in to this promised land, but the battle is just beginning. They are just beginning as they begin to take the land. And the first obstacle that we're going to see is a city called Jericho. Now, this city called Jericho, it's in every children's story book that you might find. But what you're going to find out is in chapter 7, the story of AI, you're going to find that we just skip over that, that we just go on past it many times, that we're going to see these two stories connected. Now, Jericho was a place that would have caused Uh, the spies as they were sent in to look at the land in Numbers 13. It was this kind of city, this fortified city, a city of great walls. It was that kind of city that caused 10 of the spies to come back and give a bad report and say, there's no way that we could take this city. But what we find out in this passage of of scripture, that it seemed to be an unconquerable city, right? That that there there was, uh, that this this movement, right? That, That when they saw this city in Numbers 13, that it caused the children of Israel, right? When they saw just the greatness and the inovercomableness of this land that it caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And in 
Joshua chapter number six, verse three, we're going to see the instructions that God gives them as they go in to take Jericho. Now, now the plans of God don't always make sense, right? Hebrews 11 would tell us in verse 30 that it was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell, right? And so when we see the plan of God, we're to walk as the saints of God in the plan of God, even when the plans of God don't always make sense. So here's the plan of God. Joshua chapter number six, beginning in verse three, the scripture says this, you shall march around the city with all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Okay, got that? Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So, so here's this this call. Now, the military guys, it's like the men of war that are walking around. Like some of y'all, you know, like SWAT team people in here, police officers, law enforcement, folks that have been in the army. You're hearing this kind of thing and you're thinking, this must be April Fool's joke. <laughs> like, like the men of war going, when's he going to tell us the real thing? Like surely when we get out here, he's going to give us a little bit more uh, of a plan, right? You've got to be kidding me is what probably they're thinking in their mind. But they show up, they follow in obedience God's instructions. They walk around the city once for six days. Then on the seventh day, they march around seven times, blow the horns, let out a shout, the walls fall down. And, and listen, they take this city without lifting a hand, right? God is at work in the midst of these moments. They don't lose a soldier. God's hand is on them. God's doing the work, right? That's what we see. Look at verse, oh, let's see. Let's, let's look at Verse 17, they're going to get some instructions as to what's going to happen in this city. Verse 17 says this, he says, the city shall be under a ban. So, so here when they go in and they take it, they say, here, the city is going to be under a ban and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers who we sent. So, so they're to destroy everything, right? Now, some of us are hearing this and we read these kind of passages and we say, man, this sounds pretty rough. Like, like this sounds serious. Like, like this seems a, a bit uh, overwhelming, right? That they would destroy all of these people and they would go through all of that. But I want you to understand something. For the Canaanites that day, judgment day had come. That's what we need to see in this passage, right? Judgment day had come. You need to understand these people were wicked, right? The Canaanites, they used their children as prostitutes for false gods. These were people that had sacrificed their children on pagan altars. They were into all kinds of idolatry and perversion and sin, right? And here's what the truth is. They had plenty of opportunities to repent before Jericho fell, right? They knew, they knew they were coming, right? When you see the story of Rahab, the prostitute, she knew she had heard of the greatness of their God and it caused their hearts, right, to melt in fear, she said. They knew that they were coming. God had been gracious and he'd been merciful and for 400 years, right, from the time of Abraham to Moses, they had opportunity to repent. As they walked around the city, they had opportunity to repent, right? And, and here's the thing, judgment day came that day and it was too late. And then God gave them instructions. He says, destroy everything. Uh, the only person, Rahab the harlot and her who are with her in her house shall live, right? In verse 18, he says, but as for you, so he gives them some instruction. He said, you're going in and as for you, only keep for yourself from the, from the things, excuse me, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble 
on it. Now notice the wording in here because we can catch something from this. He says, keep yourselves from the things under the ban. Now, now here's the way that many Christians want to live their life. If this is the edge of, of sin, many Christians say, you know what? I want to live. And many young people say, hey, you know what? I want to live right here on the edge of sin. I want to stay as close to the line as I can. I want to do all the things. I want to get in there. But here's what this passage says. says Keep yourselves from the things under the ban, right? It says you want to, there's places in the scripture where it says flee immorality, right? That we, we want to be having things that are set up. You know, we encourage uh, our, our staff, we encourage our, our young people, I encourage every one of you, right, to, to have things in your life to protect you, right, from the things uh, that, that, that can be destructive to you. I want to show you a video from Wednesday night from our student ministry um, just real quickly. So we'll need some sound on this one. You'll see a, a video of Pastor Chris. And why are we so passionate about the Word of God? Why are we so passionate about y'all? Listen, this is so cool. You know, we talked about accountability. We talked about relate, like, like we, we have these app, we have app, and we have different um, apps and different resources to help you break these unhealthy relationships. There was someone who just gave a thousand dollars that said, "I want this to go to your students for accountability," like just a thousand dollars cash, dropped it down and said, "You are worth it." These students, we love them and we see their value. And we want them, them to, to have a healthy relationship with the Lord. We want them to be able to, to be uh, freed from the bondage of slavery, of the things of this world. And we believe, we, we love them. I mean, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, that is just so awesome. Like, do you know how much you are loved and valued? Most importantly, by God himself. And then by the church that believes in you, that sees you, that wants you to hunger and thirst for the things that are right and to help provide a way out of those unhealthy relationships and those unhealthy um, habits because we all have them. We all do. But they see a need and they say, we believe, we love, we want them to thrive in this world. And they believe. You know, our students, and, and the reality is that, you know, you take one of these devices and in just a moment you have, in, in just a few clicks, there's the windows open to all kinds of pornography and all kinds of destructive things, things that, that, that damage relationships and things that God calls sin and abomination. We, we have access to those things. And, and, and in our student ministry, someone gave money to say, you know what, if, if you're willing to put accountability software in your phone, we will take care of the cost of that. That software, I, I have it on all my devices and my wife gets a message every day of every site that I've been to, of every uh, thing that's there. And here's the truth, in a room this size, this is not just our young people, right? This is adults and this is senior adults and it's not just male students, it's, it's female students, it, it is all around. And here's what we gotta say, you know what, the purity of God, the holiness of God and, and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness I'm going to flee from those things and I'm going to do something to keep myself from those things. He says, be careful, right? He says, you want to, you want to don't, uh, he says, keep yourself from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and you do not desire them, right? And you do not take some of those things. Now, here's what we've got to say. You know what? We're willing to do whatever it takes. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, if your right eye offends you, plug it out. He says, listen, we need to be serious about mortifying the sins of the flesh. We need to be serious about walking in purity 
purity and holiness. We need to be serious about those things. And there's adults, listen, we will help you to put those things. We need to say, you know what? I, I'm going I'm to be a, a person that, that sets up boundaries, that has guardrails in my life, that says, you know what? The holiness of God is worth everything, right? And, and pursuing that and being who God's called me to be is worth everything. So Joshua's told him, right? Listen, you need to be strong and you need to be courageous. And, and now he's told him, listen, you need to walk by faith. He said, when the, when the priests come out in the Jordan, right? When the ark is out there, the water then begins to part and you're going to cross on dry land. You need to walk by faith. And now God's looking at his people and he said, you need to keep yourselves from temptation. You need to resist the temptation to fall into sin. And the charge was not for, for just them in that day, but it is for us today as well. And so here they go, right? And, and, and they take Jericho and next is the city of Ai. Now, when we read about this city in Joshua chapter seven, we see a different picture, right? They go and, and they spy out the city. And when they come back, they have this report. Uh, they, ain't, they ain't much. <laughs> like, like you look at them, it's not going to be tough. It, it, really, we're not going to need the whole army. We're not going to need anything, right? We can take them so easy, right? They're no match for us. And so they head out and they go in and they think it's going to be easy, but what they find is defeat and they have to flee from the men of Ai. And, and, and here's the the thing that stands out immediately, right? It sounds more like pride than anything to me, right? They're looking at this and they're saying, hey, they're nothing to us. We got this easy. And in verse five, we see what happens. Joshua chapter seven, verse five says, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them down on the descent so that the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So here's a city. It should have been easy to defeat. It should have been easy to conquer. And 36 men die, right? Their hearts are full of fear. The strong and courageous are cowering in defeat. They're fleeing. And we wonder what in the world happened? What is it that, that caused this? Look at verse one of chapter seven. The scripture says this, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban and therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Achan had sinned against the holy God. He was disobedient to God and he had taken things under uh, the ban and the hand of God that had been moving so mightily in their midst was pulled back, right? His power and his presence, his strength was not with them and they were whipped by their enemies, right? 35 men die, right? They took Jericho without any casualty and nothing had changed with God's power. Nothing had changed in the greatness of their God, but something had caused a separation from that power. Something. And, and, and listen, it's about to be revealed. Now there were opportunities all along that journey, right? For repentance. There were opportunities uh, for Achan to, to say, hey, here's what I've done. Here's the things that are there, but, but it's going to be revealed. And, and here's what's going to happen. Like John Joshua experiences this defeat and he is broken. And the scripture says that him and the elders, that they fell on their face before God and they begin to cry out to God. Look at, along with me at verse six. It says this, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the, and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, alas, O Lord God. And this sounds like, sounds like the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. They're saying, he says, listen, oh Lord God, why did you bring these people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hammer of the, the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? 
For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will that do? Then Joshua was like, what will that do for your great name? Well, what will that do for you, God? Like, like you're great. And what will that do for you? What will happen in those moments? And then in verse 10, one of the craziest scriptures to, to me, Joshua and the elders, they're on their face before God. And, 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 and God says, stop praying and get up. He said, listen, rise up right here. Look, he says, listen, rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? And here's the thing that we know. When, when he's crying out, he's saying, God, why did you? Why did you? Why did you? And he said, you need to get up and you need to look around because there's sin in the camp. There's nothing wrong with my power. There's nothing wrong with my presence. There's nothing that inhabits me from being able to do whatever I want to do in whatever situation. But Israel, verse 7, has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have taken things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. And moreover, they have put them among their own things. Therefore, verse 12, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies for they have become a curse. And he says this, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things from under the ban from your midst. Now, now, Achan's taking these things, right? But he doesn't come forward on his own. He doesn't rush out in those moments. There's a night that goes by, but, but he's going to be revealed, right? And, and the scripture says this, right? That, that, that when Joshua confronts him, now he's been trying to cover. He's been trying to conceal. He's been trying to do those things. And when Joshua confronts him, he says, listen, tell the truth. And in verse 20, here's what Achan says. He says, he answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spool a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took, verse 23, them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to them. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor, right? The valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him, right? Here's another memorial. And they don't want them to forget, right? They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre till this day. Whew. It's heavy. Sometimes we forget the holiness of our God. And in this passage, like those quarters had got in and short-circuited the power that made my window work and made my radio come on, what we see is that sin had short-circuited the power of God. His presence, right? The, 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 the sin in the presence of God's people, it short-circuits the power of God. Isaiah 59 says it this way in verse 1 and 2. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, right? The power that had been present at Jericho was no longer there. Now, there's some truths that we see, right? We see uh, the, 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 the effects of sin in the camp, 
And we also see, right, that one person's disobedience can have a greater impact than we can even imagine, right? We, we see that one person's disobedience. Now, I want you to think about this for a few minutes, right? There are, there are 36 families that are grieving in these moments, right? There are 36 wives without a husband. There are 36 families, there are kids that no longer have a father, no longer have a father in their tent. And I think about my kids. Listen, there, there's temptation in front of every man and every woman in this room. Can you imagine Achan? Right that day when he, when he came into the, to the camp and somehow, man, he had collected these things. He had seen this beautiful, he couldn't even wear it. Listen, he had to hide it. He had to conceal it. He couldn't even wear this thing that he got. And he's got this gold and he's got this silver. And in the darkness of night, right in the conceal of all those things, I can just imagine and picture in those moments, right? He's bringing those things back to his tent. And then his kids are, I, I can imagine his kids asleep in those moments or his kids and his wife. And all of a sudden there's an excitement in his voice. And he says, look at all the things that I've got here. Move everything back. Move it from the center of the tent because we've got to store these things in there. And he begins to cover them and he begins to conceal them. And in his mind, he's saying, you know what? You're not going to have to worry about anything. We're going into the promised land. We're in those places and we're going to be rich and we're going to have all of these things. And then I imagine Achan and his family and his his kids looking at him and here they are they're going to be stoned they're going to be destroyed judgment day has come for him that day and it's too late there's no repentance there's nothing in his life right he's addressing it because he's been confronted and in the midst of those moments right I can imagine their kids I can see a hope and a grant looking and saying daddy what have you done to our family what have you done in these moments what have you chosen in the midst of the brokenness daddy what have you done? Now think about those moments. That's the place that they are in. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he said in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, listen, there's immorality in the midst of the church. And he said, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with those things. One person's disobedience, but it has a greater impact than we could ever imagine. And here's the thing, right? This happened right after a great victory. We are more vulnerable in those moments than many times when we are weary, even when we feel strong. And we too, we face temptation every single day. In the midst of this world, we forget about all that God has done. We think that we're stronger than we are. And we have an enemy that never rests, that roams about as a roaring lion. And he desires to destroy. He desires to do those things. And the pattern of the progression of sin in the life of Achan, it's the same as it was in the life of Adam and Eve. It's the same that in James chapter 1 is described, right? It's that same progression of sin. I saw, listen, and I, I coveted. I desired this. Remember the 10th commandment. It's the tricky one. It's the one that nobody can see. It's the one that's on the inside. He said, I saw and I coveted. I desired it. I wanted it. So I took it. And then once I took it, I concealed it. I hid it. I covered it. And we believe somehow that we believe in the greatness of our God and somehow we believe that there's a secret place somehow we believe that there's a place that we can take those things and we can cover those things and that they're out of the sight of anyone I want you to understand something our God sees all things and he knows all things 
then he doesn't take sin lightly. Our God is the one in this moment, right? He had provided for all of their needs. I want you to think about all that Achan had experienced. Think about all the things that he had been given, right? He had experienced manna. He had experienced the crossing of the Jordan. He had experienced all these things, right? He had gone through all of these things. He had taken care of every need. But in that moment, he felt like it wasn't enough. He felt like God hadn't given him all that he needed, right? And God has given us so much. See, Philippians 4.11 is the cure to that kind of thing, right? That we might be content, that we might be grateful. First Timothy, uh, we read these words, right? That godliness with contentment, that it's great gain, right? Satan wants us to, to want what we don't have and not to be grateful for what we do have. And, and the grass is always greener somewhere else. That's what Satan wants you to believe. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But what God says is, hey, you know what? I've given you some grass and you need to water that grass and you need to walk in the, the presence of God and you need to live in my way and be grateful for what I've given you, right? This happened in a high moment. This happened in a crazy moment, right? And listen, when I'm struggling, when I'm in those low moments, that's the times that I'm dependent on God. That's the times that I'm crying out to him. That's the times that, that, that I'm so much more uh, apt to be praying. And it's in those victory moments, right, that we can be so vulnerable. The truth is that our prayer lives are lacking, that, that we spend very little time in the presence of God, that, that we spend very little time. And we have sin in the midst of our lives. We have sin in the midst of our churches. We have sin in the midst of our world. And it's causing a disconnect to the power of God among the people of God. Sin's presence, it is short-circuited God's power. He is able to do abundantly above what we even ask or think. But listen, we're going to have to deal with sin in our camp. We're going to have to deal with sin in our lives. So how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? I'm going to give you three things and we're going to close, right? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray first. I wonder what would have happened. There's one thing I don't see in this passage. There's an incredible encounter in Joshua chapter 5, where, uh, where all of a sudden Joshua is face-to-face, the scripture says, with the commander of the Lord's army. The, the scholars would tell us that this would have been a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, that he is standing before the commander of the Lord's army, and he looks at him, and Joshua has this question for him. He said, whose side are you on, bro? Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? Whose side are you on? And he says, neither. He said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls on his face in worship. The scripture says that that he removes his shoes because the ground that he was standing on is holy. But there's not a record of Joshua and the people praying before the battle at Ai. Listen, we need to pray first every day, even when the battle seems easy to win. Because what we see in our own lives and what we see in the scripture that is apart from Jesus Christ and the presence of his spirit, the help of the spirit of God, that even the smallest temptation is going to be too powerful for us. Can I remind you, church, you need Jesus as much today as you ever have at any moment in your life. And you're going to need him as much tomorrow in the midst of the battle as you have in any time in your life. And it can be that we can experience the power and presence of God. Then we can see God's hand move. And instead of turning that to praise to our God, we can turn that into self-confidence for ourselves. And we can say, you know what? I I can handle this. I can do this. And listen, we have neglected falling on our face before a holy God and submitting to his will. When's the last time? When's the last time that you've cried out to the Lord? When's the last time as a faith family, as as the, the local expression of the body of Christ, that we fell on our face before a holy God and said, God, I 
desire that you might pour out your spirit on this place. God, that you might fill this place with your glory. God, that you might pour out a fresh anointing on our church. God, let us see people like you have. And, and when, when we desire revival, like if we really want that, if we desire to see a move of God in our midst, I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to pay the price? Because revival is costly. The presence of God moving in a manifest way among the people of God. It does not come free. It is not easy. It requires people to respond in surrender, in surrender and in, in just dependence on the power of God to move in our midst. So we're going to pray first. The second thing, listen, while we're praying, we need to ask God that question. It's the same question that Joshua asked him. God, why hadn't you moved? God, why? What's going on? And we'll see it's a prayer God will answer, right? And it might be that in the mere midst of our own lives that he might say, the reason I haven't moved is because there's sin in your life. There's, there's things that you need to deal with, right? There's things that you've got hidden in the tent. I had a senior adult after church say, you know what I'm doing when I get home? I'm cleaning house. See, that's the thing that we got to do. We got to be a people that'll say, I, I want to know what's hidden in your phone. I wonder what's hidden in your tent. I wonder what all those things are. And we're going to pray first and we're going to purge fast because I want to tell you something, conviction and the power of God in our lives, conviction and, and, and this, this experience of that. Here's the thing. Many of you are already experiencing guilt, right? Guilt is something that condemns and we have sin and there's been sin in my life that, that the guilt and the whispers of the enemy where the enemy just wants to remind me of my brokenness and remind me of my sin and I experience that guilt and the weight of that sin that's from Satan but I want you to understand something the power of God when the spirit of God pierces the heart of people and he convicts them of their sin it's it's a gift from the Holy Spirit and when we purge quickly when we respond in repentance we experience the grace of God we experience the mercy of God. So we're going to pray first. We're going to purge fast, right? And we're going to, and, and what happens when God moves among his people, there's repentance that takes place. And there's this repentance. And when we see repentance, it, it is this convicting power of God that comes over us. And we become broken over our sin. And we turn and we pursue him passionately. So we're going to purge quickly, right? We're going to purge fast. We're going to pray first. And we're going to pursue him passionately right we're going to passionately follow because here's the thing this has been a day of kind of some bad news right but it's the reality that we have to deal with if we want to experience the power of God in our lives and we deal with it individually we we circle up and we say God what is it in my life that is preventing the power of God from being manifest in this place what is it that's hidden in my tent what is it that I need to deal with Romans 5, we see these words, and it's, it's bad news, right? Because Adam was our Achan. The Bible says in Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, that as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And because of one man's sin, we are sinners by nature and by choice, right? And we are wrecked, right, with the impact of his sin. But the good news is that Jesus lovingly and willingly and Immediately stepped out from the glories of heaven. He stepped out from heaven's camp and he dwelled among us and he lived. He took on flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life 
and that he took on all of my sin and all of my shame, all of my wrong. The Bible says that the wrath of God, see, we see God is loving and we look at these things and we say, man, this judgment seemed harsh. I want you to understand something. For the Canaanites and for Achan, judgment day had come and there was no turning back. There was no turning back. It was too far gone. But today we have the gift of the ability to respond to the presence of God in our midst, to the piercing of God in our lives, right? As the Spirit convicts our heart. And, and here's the truth. Because of Adam's sin, right, we spiral into a mess of brokenness. But because of Jesus and the wrath of God, right, what we deserved, instead of being stoned like Achan, Jesus took my stoning. Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took all of my sin, all of my shame, everything that I'd done. God poured his wrath out on Jesus because of what I have done. He treated Jesus like I deserve to be treated. And because of that, when I believe, when I look to the cross and the finished work of the cross, and I see the glory of God and his goodness as he poured his wrath out on his son in my place, and I look to the cross, and I say, you know what, Jesus, what you did there, and what God did on the cross, that counted for me. And I believe in the finished work of the cross, and I repent of my sin, and I respond the only way that I can, just as the commander of the Lord's army, whose side are you on? Listen, he's not asking us whose side we're on. He's saying, I am in charge and I am Lord. And the command is that we would surrender and live for him and pour our lives out for the good and the glory of God. And that we would live for him in every moment of our lives. Jesus paid it all. And we have an opportunity to respond. What are you hiding? In your tent. What is it that God's calling you to deal with? Your sin will not only affect you, but it will affect those around you. And he has given you the grace to be able to repent and respond to his mercy and his goodness. And he has provided a sacrifice in your place. So listen, when we've surrendered our life to Christ and we've trusted in the finished work of the cross, God no longer looks at us and sees all of the mess and all the sin and all the things that we deserve death for. But he looks at us and he sees the very righteousness of Christ that's been given to us as a gift of his grace. And because of that, we live for his glory. Will you bow your head, close your eyes, pray with me. We're going to worship God together. I want to invite you this morning to be obedient. I pray that the spirit of God uh, would convict hearts in this room. That he might reveal to you the things that are under the band, the things that are hidden in the tent, the things that are separating you from the power of God, that are, that are short-circuiting the power of God in our lives. I pray that as a faith family, we would take serious the holiness of God and his call for us to be a holy people set apart for his glory and for his grace. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, there would be a day where judgment day will come. God is just. Sin demands punishment. The wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. Judgment day will come. But today you've been given a gift of His grace. I wonder what it would have looked like for Achan if he had responded in a different way. If the convicting power of God, when he got to his tent, if he'd come clean.
if he had dealt with his sin. Wonder what would have happened if Joshua and the elders had sought the face of God before that battle. Don't allow the day to be a day that you look back experiencing the consequences and the judgment of God in your life. Don't let today be a day that you look back and say, I wonder what would have happened if I'd repented. If I'd asked God to forgive me. If I'd come clean and I'd dealt with those things, what would have happened in my family? Conviction is a gift of God. It's his grace and his mercy. How long has it been since we've wept and begged God to move? Lord, I pray, God, that if there be any that don't know you today, Father, that the convicting power of your spirit, God, would reveal sin, would draw them to repentance, and that, God, we would respond and surrender. Lord, bring to our minds the things that you want us to deal with in our own individual lives. And God, may you work in a way that, God, your word says, if we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, forgiveness is available. Cleansing is available. Lord, help us respond in obedience. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in worship? We respond in obedience today.